Yeah, I think um, I have mem- memories of like hanging around the Foursquare while Mum was inside shopping, and I was just swinging on the rail of the ramp that went in, just singing to myself, and that's quite. I don't know. Yeah, I've still got that memory. But my main memory of like folk songs and songs is of Mum singing to me when I was little and singing um, a specific song that I then I didn't sing it very much but I did learn it and it was probably the first one I learned yeah I feel like music and songs are really part of children in childhood Mm. and then it's sort of some people carry on with it and some people become really silenced Mm. Do you feel like yours was fostered by your parents? Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Definitely was. Yeah. In what way? Very much so. Well, Mum always sang around the house and Dad loves all sorts of music, so they just would love to hear all of us doing music and singing. Yeah, me and my sisters. Oh, yeah. In whatever way. Like, my older sister is a pianist and, yeah, it was always just, um, something that we love to do so they just encourage what we loved you know. oh yeah Yeah. Mm. and did you have to practice mm. did you have like set practice time no or was it free <laughs> no it was just free it was free yeah. I mean my sister took piano lessons so she had practice time but I yeah yeah I would just sing around the house and when I went to school and would join choirs and things we might do a little bit of practice but not really it's usually just for the fun of it yeah. Yeah. And did you do it? Did you study it in, at high school? Or? Uh, no, I didn't study it at high school. No. I just did lots of singing in choirs and kabaka and productions. Yeah. And yeah, decided to do music at, as my minor at uni and then um, changed that into a music degree after I finished psychology. And, that was the first time that I really properly studied it, which was a little bit of a shock. Was it? <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose because everyone else in the course had done a lot of lessons and had done grade singing and, um, yeah, yeah, and were already sort of part of that performing sort of world in Dunedin as well. A lot of them, yeah. So they sort of knew each other and yeah. I can imagine there must be a bit of pressure to have a certain look in Dunedin. It's got quite a a scene. Yeah, I think it was more the the sort of the jargon and the oh, yeah. um, the technical things like training and sight singing and and um, the different ways of it was mainly sight singing actually that I really struggled with and the solfège singing, which is like an American way where you use. You have the do re mi scale and you do things with your hands and it's like makes things really easy for transposition but it's a whole way that you learn from a small child you know up it's like yeah compared to sort of yeah i don't know what you'd compare it to just singing by ear i suppose yeah well compared to how it sounds like you grew up with music and songs it was just yeah organic it was just, and but sure yeah there and Yes, and you just followed it. Yeah. That must have been quite jarring. 
It was, it was. And I, I remember that one singing paper that I did when it was my minor. And then I decided to drop it mm-hmm. and just do um, musicology papers after that, sort of history of music and world music and ethnomusicology, and things, which I found really interesting as well, yeah. learning about world music and music collectors and things like that. So that was really cool. And then when I finished psychology, I picked up the performance side of it again, feeling a bit more confident in myself and a bit more, you know, a little bit more like I belonged there. And I was... And ask the wild roses their pardon For his true love is flown Into every flower grown And he must be keeper of the garden For his true love is flown Into every flower Yeah, there seems to be a bit of a thing, like, feeling like you're... Well, I noticed in me, like, I think it's called imposter syndrome. Mm. <laughs> this feeling that you're just making it all up and someone's going to turn up at your door and be like, ah, sorry, you're actually not what you think you are. <laughs> Stop. You can't do this anymore. No. Yeah. You're not allowed. Get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Did you feel pressure to study something at university when you left high school? Yeah, massive. That was like presented as the only thing. You know, you go from high school to uni and that's what you do. Yeah. And you don't take a gap year because you'll be out of the habit of studying and that you know, you're doing. Yeah, that's like that's but that's just not true because, you know, if you choose something you like you'll love you'll love it, you know. You'll love mm. to study it. But at the time I didn't know what I would do in that gap year other than carry on with my part-time job yeah. at a restaurant in Oaka, which is, yeah, be a pretty quiet life. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, I don't think I was sort of um, brave enough and ready to think about travel and, you know, doing things on, going off on my own or things like that, yeah. yeah. And I was that age, I was still very much a child <laughs> at the end of high school. You really yeah. are. Yeah. So young, eh? such a change and did you have anything else that you felt that you wanted to study or pursue at that time um I was just thought psychology would be a good thing to sort of learn a little bit more about the inner workings of humanity oh so did you go into Mm. university with psychology as your major yeah oh and music was just on the side music was my minor for the first three years yeah oh right okay yeah and then when I finished psychology, I thought, I've got these music points, like surely I can transfer that into a, into a major, a double major, or, and I ended up doing a double degree mm. with, um, yeah, performance. So, my, so I had five years at uni, three years of both, and then two years of just music, which was awesome. Two years of just music? Yeah.
and yeah. Mm, yeah. We did in tutorials. We had our tutor would play different things on the piano. We, we were learning to compose in like this very particular style. I can't remember what it was called for the life of me. But they had so many rules and. Each week we had a little assignment to write a piece of music that followed all these rules, like you could jump this far but not that far, and then you could go backwards. But you, after you've gone backwards once, you have to go forwards again and then go up and down. Mm. So I can't remember what it was called. But he used the piano to teach us that and to show us different sounds, and then you know, in our lectures we'd have live examples for um, feel or to hear, um, to hear how a key changed, like, happens and, and good and bad examples of modulation. away, a friend that I've been gigging with and stuff, and I don't play that one anymore. You don't play it anymore? <laughs> I don't play that one anymore. But yeah, it's very, it's just, yeah, with all the songs that I write, they just recoil, they make me recoil <laughs> quite a lot, quite far back in my chair. Why do you think they make you recoil? I think they're so transparent, they're like, it's so clear what I'm writing about, and it just makes me awkward and, and a little yeah. bit sick that people can, like, read me so well, you know? Yeah, it's very vulnerable, very mm. vulnerable. Yeah, mm. I don't. And, but I also think, like, who wants to hear this, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Do people actually want to hear this? Like, these zombies. but it's not here. <laughs> I like I like I prefer just to listen to other people's music and play it and put my own feeling into into that. Yeah. Is there any music that you're really enjoying at the moment? I'm listening pretty much non-stop to um, a group called I'm With Her. Uh, they all sing. And then one's usually on the guitar, one's on the banjo, one's on the violin. Oh yeah. Mm. yeah. That's a good mixture of music, it's of instruments. Yeah, it's a classic combo, yeah. Can't go wrong with a banjo and a violin. Played well. <laughs> Played badly, probably good. <laughs> what do you think you're most scared of in the world? I suppose, going back to the imposter syndrome, I suppose it comes back to rejection. Most kind of rejection. Yeah. What being rejection sort of found like? out and mm. being, yeah, banished from whatever you've been... Like, ignored? Uh, maybe, but more like, oh, hang on, you're actually wrong, you're actually not what we wanted or not what we thought you were. Mm -hmm. 
very handy. Yeah. <laughs> Guidelines. Yeah. Because we're good in some ways and um, as long as we're flexible. I think creativity needs rules. I think, you know, the, the common thing creativity is best with boundaries. When you've got boundaries. Or like when you're uh, when you're struggling and then that's when the most creative things can happen. When you have restriction, you naturally want to push against it, which can I think can promote creative activities and or new ways of thinking. Where would you say you're most creative in your life at the moment? Cooking. And cooking? <laughs> yeah, I would say that. <laughs> and what sort of rules do you have in that area that you feel like gives you freedom to create? Yeah, I think, well, I definitely have rules at the moment, I suppose, rules that I choose to follow from having become plant-based and then, you know, finding ways to work around that and still create nice meals and nice mm-hmm. baking or yeah things that make you feel satisfied and good and and I love that um, what you realise is you don't need all the other things as well you know like you don't need to in, like in cooking you don't need to have all those animal products there's lots of other examples I'm not saying they're not all delicious <laughs> but yeah they're, they're not necessary yeah, it's kind of like what Tom was talking about. Like, the more you reduce what you have, the more um, creative you become with what you do have. Yes, yeah. yeah. And I think, yeah, the freer you feel, the less that you have, the more you appreciate what you do have, and the more like excitement you get from what you manage to do with the small amount of things that you have. really fun. I really love making creative the kitchen. <laughs> I think abundance is sort of can be in how you feel about everything. You know, you can feel those things in abundance. Those that joy and that creativity can come in abundance in those confined settings. Yeah. And then being present kind of thing. Yeah. And realise so. how much I think maybe abundance is more helpful in that sense as well, in that way, where it's abundance of like relationships and abundance of emotions and gratitude or presence, yeah, your presence, rather than abundance of things and food <laughs> and phys- yeah, physical things, yeah. I always think of abundance as like more than what's necessary. Okay. If you think about it in that, in that way. Okay. And that's not always a positive thing. I think I get caught up in the need to be doing and getting somewhere. And I think that comes from a place of more than what's necessary. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so hard not to get caught up in that, though, isn't it? Like, 
at different ages, you know, especially looking around at your peers and seeing what they've achieved or what they have or it's really hard to just be happy with what you've got. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of COVID has taught me in lockdown. Just this slight shift internally, which is days and weeks could go by when my world was only the size of my house and the tracks that I walked on and my brother and parents. This was last year mm. or the year before, whenever it was. And it was great. Feels like that is the push in the world at the moment. Mm. Where do you feel like you learnt? Or do you feel like you've had any great teachers or great lessons in your life? Because it sounds like it might not have been at uni. But where do you think it was? Or maybe it was. Mm. Great lessons. That really touched you and you're like, oh, you felt a sense of growing. Of me. That's a really interesting question. I don't know. I mean, I could say definitely within the music therapy study, and well, more so within the music therapy practicum, I think it's more like relationships with people that have been big eye openers for me. Yeah, probably more social relationships with people, I'd say, have been the biggest. Yeah, that have caused me to change my way of thinking. Or, yeah. But I definitely think I'm probably quite a close-minded person, I would say. I've got a long way to go. You think you're close-minded? Well, I'm very... Yeah, I think I've got very strong sort of ways of thinking, which is something that COVID, you know, I mean, we've talked about that before. The strong division, like I'm definitely... I guess it's I'm a bit of a black and white thinker, I suppose. Yeah, cultivate my grey areas a little bit more. Which is very, you know, that's where the relationships with people are the, the best way to do that, I think. Yeah. What kind of things make you angry? Probably more of a refusal to see my side of the coin, which is probably a classic hypocritical thing to get angry about. You're arguing with someone because you're not listening to their side of the coin either. What sort of subjects mm. is the coin on? It could be anything. Could be anything. It's been a while that I've had an argument with someone who's not Tom. Who's <laughs> not Tom? Who's not, yeah. <laughs> I can see, like, with some of my colleagues, my, like, workmates and stuff, that if we got into, like, COVID topics, then we'd probably... Maybe we wouldn't have an argument because they're not as volatile as me, perhaps. They're more rational and level-headed, so they probably wouldn't let it get that far. But, yeah, I definitely disagree on some of those things, which is really... It's been really interesting, actually. That's been a big, like... um, Well, it's definitely been a new experience 
to really have to be professional and moderated and agree to disagree and be an adult at work. <laughs> yeah. And heightened by vaccinations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think, uh, like, conversations I've had with this person before, like, we've definitely had different different views, but I've been really interested to hear them, different views and things, religion or the COVID stuff. It's all very here and now, and, you know, there is there are actions that we need to take, and they're not being taken. It's very, like, frustrating. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are censoring themselves in that area and that kind of scares me mm. like mm, I think that like you're saying around this person that you were previously able to have open discussions about things and have different viewpoints for some reason it's very challenging for people to have an open discussion and have different viewpoints on COVID and vaccinations Mm. and it's scary I think we've definitely I mean we've all talked about it as a team because there are things like through um, our work you know that we have to put in place in Northland in our Auckland Centre in our Hawkspace Centre that they're just a blanket uh, procedures that we have to put in place so we've been talking about it openly at work about how we feel about different things so you know they know that I they know my views, I know their views, but if we were to have like more of a conversation about it, that's I think yeah, it would just be incredibly frustrating. And I just don't want to do that because I respect them and and I don't want to taint that yeah, so it's tainting the previously open um relationship that we had where we were able to discuss things and, and it would seem like Yeah, having that conversation, delving into that would shut everything else down, you know. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. That's just what I'm assuming because I'm not having that, not going there. Yeah, I think it's really brave of you to just bring it in and talk about it and see what it feels like to think about it because mm. I think that it's through these kind of conversations that we do grow our relationships and we grow our internal um, experience of the world and we grow ourselves and um, perhaps it's an opportunity to... Um, step into that arena which is really challenging mm. and um, just yesterday at the lunch table with the other nurses I just decided to start talking about it and um, it, and people everybody felt fired up about it and felt fired up mm. and just sort of gently just like letting them talk and then repeating back what I hear them say and mm. be like I see and then gently offering a grey area that maybe um, maybe we're allowed to not be completely pro vaccinations even though we work at the hospital maybe mm. maybe we're allowed to talk about it and maybe we're not going to get killed because that's like the ultimate fear that is under it is that we're going to be, like you say, that you've one of your greatest fears in the world is um, being banished or seen as being un, um, unreal, unrealistic or something. Mm. And I think 
it's a deeply human fear and mm. it stops stops us moving forward, it stops us having conversations that need to be had. Mm. I was also asking about what you argue about and what makes you angry because I sense in myself when I've had the biggest arguments it's about something that I really care about and um, I wonder what you really care about mm. what really matters to you I don't think I've had any many arguments like that I suppose no I'm quite a petty person so most of my arguments with like family members or things have been quite petty or they I suppose I had quite a big it wasn't really an argument with my mum about the tattoo that I got but um, that was just a because it matches to you I noticed your tattoo yeah. it's really pretty oh thanks is it new? no I got it in at the end of 2016 or the start of 2017 yeah mm-hmm. mm. what's the design? Uh, it's nothing in particular it's something that my friend used to draw on my hand like in that triangle there <laughs> I but I thought, yeah, but and I really liked the way it would move with your fingers, you know. Yeah. Um, but I thought, I can't have a hand tattoo because everyone will see it, you know, in job interviews and propriety and things. You can't have a tattoo in your hand. Because they, they might not like, oh, think you're real. It, yeah, they might, <laughs> might not think I'm worthy. Yeah. Um, She's a pushover. <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, or she, yeah. She doesn't care about her... Yeah, I don't know what I thought. Hand. It's just um, unacceptable, Un- socially unacceptable, <laughs> a hand tattoo. So I thought, oh, I'll just get, I'll get it on this ankle because that's where my friend who drew it. She also has a tattoo on her ankle on that side. So I thought, oh, we'll get that, and we'll have like, we'll both have a tattoo on our ankles. Yes. <laughs> and then yeah. And the fallout, the fallout <laughs> from that was um yeah pretty not great. Yeah. So when you got it, you you didn't talk to your mum about it. You just went and it. I just got it. Yeah, I just went and got it. Because um, my friend was leaving the country, and yeah, we um, had this really cool. Yeah, we had a really close relationship for that year. Um, That's the same yeah. story about that. Ah, I noticed that the other day when we went for a walk. I like that. The my friend's got it on her ankle. Oh, cool. Yeah. But go on. Yeah. But mum, but um, yeah, mum was pretty upset and also felt that it was a direct attack on her for some reason. So I actually went into a tattoo parlor, well, not a beauty place last weekend, and got a some a little sample of removal, laser removal. You can have a little consultation. They can tell you how long it will take and how much of it they can lift off. And so, you want to get it removed? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking about it, you know, and I thought, yeah, I just had it done on. You probably can't really tell, but like the bottom of that line's a little bit blurry and a bit red and funny. Maybe it's a little bit like it looks like it's been chipped away at a little bit. Whereas usually that was a straight line until the end there. Um, so, yeah, just to, just to see how I felt about that option. So yeah, still thinking about it. And how do you feel about it? I feel that it's expensive and painful. <laughs> um, 
and it makes me feel yeah it doesn't make me feel good about getting it because now I'm just going to do this but I also feel like it's always going to be tainted with like mum's reaction to it so do I really want to look at that for the rest of my life weird like blurry blue patch that maybe can't be completely gone as well and maybe if it is completely gone then you've got the weird like white scarring mottled skin where it, it was so maybe yeah. it could be the most powerful part of your story if you keep it could be could be your rite of passage it's like I chose to get got Get this. I went against the grain. It's meaningful to me. Mm. It's my direction. Mm. It's definitely meaningful at the time. It sounds like it's still meaningful. Yes, I will. It's taken on a different meaning. My apple tree, my brightness, it's time we were together, for I smell of the earth and an Interesting story, Wally. Thanks for singing about it. That's right. It's kind of like ownership and it's about autonomy and it's about decision making and what's important to you. Yeah, mm. there's loads of layers there. I think it's cool that a tiny bit of it has had a little smear of removal cream on it as well. Mm. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think it's ownership as well, if I do decide to get rid of it. I don't know, yeah, it's a complicated one. Mm. Yeah, I like that. Mm. What matters? What matters to you? Yeah. Mm. I think in some ways that question is a lifelong thing. Just keep discovering. Mm. What's important? Mm. And what's not? And it changes. When my family think that I'm safely in my bed from dawn until night. But I thought it was interesting that you said that you think that you are petty. You think that <laughs> you get annoyed at things that are petty. Do you remember the night, oh, the night when we were... Can you just, can you just tidy up your bits of paper? You've got so many, so many paper around. <laughs> so many, so many thoughts are just lying around. <laughs> tidy up your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your thoughts in the office.
to realize that those things that I that really piss me off are actually clues to who I am mm. and um, I get angry when when people aren't treated fairly I get angry at um, animals not being treated fairly I get angry at being used on the land and plants and the more I can say yeah that really pisses me off the more I can know what I stand for mm. and what kind of shape I I want my life to look like mm. so I celebrate of the frost oh but thanks be to jesus we did all that was right and i do play the guitar yeah i play it all the time for work wow it's got beautiful little bits of power in it. yeah it's cool eh? yeah have you had this for a long time i got that about um, just after I got my tattoo, I think, so, yeah, start of 2017. My friend, too, we did gigs together, she had a mahogany guitar, so, oh, I like the mahogany guitar as well. I got a friend from the folk club who actually is a luthier to come with me to help me choose a guitar. <laughs> what? He's a luthier, he makes makes guitars, mandolins, violins, and things like that. I am stretched on your grave and I'll lie here forever. If your hands were in mine, I'd be sure they would not sever. My apple tree, my brightness, it's time we were together. For I smell of the earth and am worn by the weather. When my family think that I'm safely in my bed, from dawn until night I am stretched out at your head, crying out unto the earth with tears hot and wild for the loss of a girl that I loved as a child. Do you remember the night, oh, the night when we were lost in the shade of the blackthorn and the touch of the frost? Oh, but thanks be to Jesus, we did all that was right. And your maiden head still is your pillar of light. Oh, the priests and the friars, they approach me in dread. For I love you still, my life and your dead. But I still will be your shelter through rain and through storm. 
And with you in your cold grave, I cannot sleep warm. So I am stretched on your grave, and I'll lie here forever. If your hands were in mine, I'd be sure they would not sever. My apple tree, my brightness, it's time we were together. For I smell of the earth and am worn by the weather. It just sort of touches a part of me that I forget about. What do you think folk songs are for? Because they are often about things that are really hard to... Um, yeah. Hard to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, they're coping. Coping mechanism, definitely, for those terrible tragedies. But, you know, passing the story down, making sure things weren't forgotten and storytelling yeah definitely absolutely coping or <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the documentary about Billie Eilish no I haven't no it's actually really beautiful mm -hmm. um but there's a part in it where she's where she's um like upset about something leaving her friends or family and she's her mum says got to find ways to cope with it Billy and she's like why do we have to cope why can't we just feel mm. and so maybe folk songs aren't coping maybe mm. they allow us to feel what we actually mm. I think when I say coping I mean like channeling channeling that energy into like a manageable yeah thing yeah channeling tapping into tap that you can tap into exactly yeah and you can feel it when you need to or when you want to but you can mm. carry on with your life as and well and you can share the experience yes yeah, yeah you well. can share it with other people yeah because yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's what funerals are about aren't they I mean they can, they can be incredibly beautiful spaces that um, you just realise that we'll share our humanity with each other and that deep grief and sadness mm. I used to sing for a little um, ceremony. I don't know how it happened. Well, probably because I sing lots of songs about death and grief at the folk club. But um, someone there knew a woman who organises the uh, memorial services for like um, um, I'm not sure what the day is, but it's like infant death day or, or mm. baby death day or something like that. It's Day. Oh, they had a piece on the radio about it um, this year. I think it's usually in August. Yeah. And, you know, people run the road light, light candles and think about the um, children that they've lost, whether, you know, infants or miscarriages or small children. Yeah. So, you know, they, had, they used to have a little ceremony for that in um, Anderson's Bay. Uh, cemetery. Yeah. And I got into singing for it for a couple of years in a row before I moved up to Wellington. Yeah, and it's just a chance for people to release those tears if they need if they need a prompt for it, you know, if it's mm. they need like 
something to unlock to release those feelings or as well as just you know supporting their ceremony and things like that their ceremony their event yeah so yeah I used to do it and sort of wonder what I was doing there really like how did I get to doing this like oh well I guess that comes back to the music therapy side of things as well yeah. Mm. It's linked. Yeah. Mm. I would love to have some. I mean, sounds gonna sound really morbid, but I would really value having some experience in a hospice setting. And I've always thought that's where I, would, my style would flourish, and I'd be able to help. I'd really be able to tap into that for people, and obviously, it wouldn't all be like. And hospices are like a, such amazing places where they have all sorts of access to different therapies and and different recreational programs and things to help families for families as well as for for the patients and residents. You know. Yeah. Even rest homes, hospitals. Yes. There's people that need to that need the music. Mm. I remember one guy at a rest home that I was in as a student nurse dying and he had his um, CD player. His room was dark and empty most of the time and um, it was just his, him and his CD player. Mm. 24 hours, round and round. What sort of stuff was he listening to? I remember it because um, it's music that touches me as well as like Bob Dylan and um, your diamond and stuff mm. and when I would go on and do tears I'd just tears rolling down my face mm. so it's such a personal space but also so connecting as mm. well mm. do you feel like in some way you're in the perfect career? In some way, I suppose I might be. Yeah. Or do you not like that question? It's just it's interesting because I, I'm still sort of figuring out how I got here. <laughs> you know, and how much of this was like conscious decision and whether conscious decisions whether I'm putting too much value on conscious decisions and having made them or not, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I think I've kind of floated along. <laughs> I've floated along. Oh, I'll do some psychology. Yeah, I guess I'll do some music. And, oh, I'll take a break. And I guess those two things go together and <laughs> just try and work with what I had, you know, yeah. done at uni. And are you saying that yeah. that has served you? You feel that that? Well, I I think I'm lucky to be where I am, through choices that haven't been hugely conscious or hugely driven, yeah. like with not having that much ambition, to have a career in particular. Yeah. So I think yeah, that's really lucky, actually. But at the same time, like 
when you say music is so personal and so connecting, I part of me, yeah, it really you've really got to think about your relationship to music and how much you want to distance yourself from the music that you play at work or or do you like is that the best thing to do or is it the best thing just to you know own the music that you accept the music that you play for work as your music as well and try and find fulfillment through that because in no way do I feel the same about these songs and the music that I play at work Mm. you know what I mean it's not I don't find that like I don't find it um, it's not an outlet for me which it shouldn't be because I'm the therapist you know I'm there to to um, provide space for other people's um, expressive outlet yeah Mm. yeah to foster that for them but yeah I suppose it's a way of balancing that and getting it for myself as well and it's part of you a little bit like could I do like get paid for it being well that's what I think yeah maybe that's what I think um when I think about the hospice work or something I think oh that's more what I'm suited to so perhaps that would be more fulfilling for me what's going to be best for me I think I think that's a really authentic place to come from and I think we have more to offer the world when we are living from a place that's best for us yes yeah I think that's right I think that's true I do it's just interesting to say it out loud yeah it will be really interesting it's the one it's the one area like I've always thought since starting music therapy I'm like oh, probably rest homes and hospice would be the best the place that suits my energy and my style of music the best <laughs> I would say more than kids and um, preschoolers and adults where you can sort of, you know, not sing songs like Paw Patrol and trying to, trying to get Paw Patrol! (laughs) Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, we'll be there on the double. (laughs) Is that what they they request? That is what I sung for a lot of my placement at an early intervention centre in Lower Hutt. <laughs> for one child in particular. She loved Paw Patrol. And was she just like so into it? She was so into it and we had little visuals of all the different dogs and she had to put them in order. Oh. And yeah, it was really cool. It was cool, but it was yeah. like Oh <laughs> <laughs> Oh <laughs> This is what the work is like <laughs> This is what I have to do with my like coming from this you know sort of stuff <laughs> from my deep coming from folky deep. roots yeah yeah <laughs> emotional <laughs> stuff <laughs> exactly
seas I am bound for to go But let my long absence be no trouble to you For I will return in the spring as you know Like some pretty little schoolboy I'll dress and go with you in the darkest of dangers I shall stand your friend In the cold stormy weather When the winds they are a-blowing My love, I'll be willing to wait on you then Your pretty little hands cannot handle our tackle your pretty little feet to a topmast cargo And the cold stormy weather love you never could endure Therefore lovely Nancy to the sea do not go Farewell my lovely Nancy for I must now leave you Unto the salt seas I am bound for to go But let my long absence be no trouble to you For I will